Welcome to Entrepreneurhood, where we break entrepreneurship down into three simple pillars, business, lifestyle, and motivation. Our goal is to use our personal experiences as industry leaders to guide and inspire young entrepreneurs to see the lesson in every challenge, because we understand that companies don't succeed, people do. Now, welcome the leaders of Entrepreneurhood, Lakeham and KB. Welcome to the neighborhood. You got your boy, Lake Kim, in the building, and I got my brother, KB, in the building with me. We're on episode 32, and we just bringing guests after guests after guests. And what we decided was KB went out and found one of our childhood homies, and he's been blown up in the entrepreneur world. So KB, he's going to let y'all know an introduction of who the guest is, and we're going to welcome a new family to the neighborhood. So KB, who's the guest of the day? Today's guest is not only another Flushing alumni, but this young entrepreneur is taking care of New York, literally. If you saw a limited edition red and white Yeezys on your cousin's feet, it's probably because of him. If your girlfriend Uggs look like dirt on Monday and fresh on Tuesday, then it's probably because of him. By now, we might as well name him the shoe doctor. Ladies and gents, he is Robert Guest, the CEO of Take Care New York Shoe Restoration Company. Welcome to the neighborhood, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. No problem, man. I had to give you a warm welcome because, man, the, the stuff you be doing is crazy, bro. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. I be trying. That's all. I just keep trying every day. You just got to do something new. I keep working, keep posting. That's a hey, fact. He be out here saving lives, man. That's what it looked like. <laughs> that's, what, that's what a lot of people tell me. I try not to pay too much mind to it because there's a lot going on. Everybody got like a little, they have a hard time going through their regular day with their shoes. It's a normal thing that goes on. Introduce yourself to the people, man. Let them know where you're from and how it all started. Robert Guest from South Jamaica, Queens. And I, I would say this all started like in high school, honestly, from Flushing High School. You kind of like, you get the feel of what of what looking good is in school and stuff like that. You just feel like you can't really come to school with nothing too crazy on your feet or it just, it can't look crazy. You got to have nice shoes on. They got to be decently clean. You don't have the cleanest shoes, but it can't look wild. Well, in high school, it's a culture. That's it's your biggest upkeep and your responsibility is how you look. That's what I learned a lot from like, nah, I got to keep you on my toes. I can't let these freshmen outdo me. Yeah. In high school, man, if, if you ain't come correct, man, like I said, you could either bring the right attraction to yourself or the wrong attraction. If your sneakers ain't look right, man, what we used to call them patties. You can't have no patties on your feet. It was one day I had a conversation with my brother. It was like, yo, what do you think females look at first when they actually look at a guy? I was like, yo, I don't know. I feel like they probably just look at you as a whole, like your whole body. And they start from bottom and look up. They look at you, then just look at your feet and just examine and go up from there. He was like, bro, I facts. I believe that. I was like, ever since then, I was like, All right, I got to have all nice shoes. How did you get into it? Like you saw it was on YouTube one day. You tried on your own sneakers. Like what made you want to like really take your hands on? I would say, and to be 100% honest, I would say it started with cleaning shoes. Of course, as a kid, you just start cleaning your own shoes toothbrush, soap, toothpaste, all types of different concoctions you make to try and get your shoes as white as possible, as clean as possible. And then I think from cleaning your shoes and making sure it, they stay looking right, it just went from, from me learning, you know, how do I fix these certain things that go wrong on shoes? These, like this tearing, this looking like it needs to be re-glued because people's shoes be talking. And then you, I need some different shoes too. And then you go to, hey, how can I change the color on something to make this stand out a little bit? People be changing shoelaces. Just doing all types of different things. And that just turned into me like wanting to actually restore 
and customize for where to be different, look different, and also give more life to something that you feel like probably lost a life, honestly, early. I got a question with that. Are you you a full-time entrepreneur now? When did you take the leap uh, into full-time entrepreneurship? I would say it's, it's definitely been about, well, it's been a year and some change, but for sure it was last year, January um, 4th, 2019, was when ASICS America, is the name of the corporation, gave me a severance check. They offered everyone at the job at ASIC Soho a severance package. From there, it was just like I had to make a decision whether I was going to try and reapply and somehow continue going to school at LaGuardia. Because at that time, I was doing an internship. I had to find a way to get eight hours or however many hours. I was like from 8 to 5 p.m. I had to be at this accounting internship at the Radisson JFK. So I had to figure out how I was going to get those hours in so I could graduate from LaGuardia. And after that, I just felt like I, I can't reapply and go to school and do that. So... I'm going to just have to turn my my side hustle into my main hustle and just work, take the severance package and graduate from school somehow. So January 4th is when I started. Let's real remember the date. <laughs> As a fact, if you remember the date, you committed yourself to something. You probably forgot your anniversary mad times, but you remember the yeah. January 4th. <laughs> That's a fact. That's so a fact. during that process of doing the internship or trying to decide what was your biggest struggle when it comes to continuing your side hustle and your main hustle? What were you struggling with mostly? I think my struggle was like just emotionally, just knowing that like I had to only depend on myself and I wanted to make sure I committed myself to that mindset. You can't worry about what anybody's going to pay you or how much they value you at because you got to pay yourself now. Mm -hmm. Clearly like they don't value this location no more. They got rid of this location. They closed it down and and it's like you're expendable to anybody else. So I think it was just a, a mental leap of getting over the fact that working at a job for someone, you they they kind of like a number to you. And if you're not worth it, they can get rid of you at any time. So you gotta be able to pay yourself. So you don't have to you don't even have to stress things like that. And I think that was like my most important thing because they gave me a little severance package, whatever they felt like was gonna cover those few weeks, I guess. Those next, I think it was like six weeks worth of a, a check. And that's what they say, yo, this is what we feel like we owe you, and you can take this and leave. <laughs> just how I saw it. It's crazy, bro. That's what me and KB talk about all the time in entrepreneurship. I'm super glad you took that leap because we say you eat what you kill when you get in the game of entrepreneurship. If you don't perform, if you don't execute, you don't, you don't make no money and you don't eat. I think that's a big thing that I always like our listeners to understand is the game of entrepreneurship is... You got to be unique. You got to be a certain type of person to take that leap of faith. So did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur or like did it just happen because of the the layoff or what? I feel like I knew at a certain point, I would say from the moment I stepped foot in LaGuardia, it was just like I found out that my major at that time was just not working for me. My major was first physical therapy. It was physical therapy, but to be a physical therapist assistant, the work ethic that you needed to really study and keep up with all of these terms and everything. I had a love for, of course, health and, and working out and sports. So I wanted to be in physical therapy, but I didn't have the love for actually following what went with that profession, which is like keeping up with all the terminology and everything. It was just like a different kind of like work ethic that I had no love for. I started to shift my, my mindset on just how do other like, how do people make money or how do people get paid? And you just forget that everything is a business technically. So why not have your own business? 
there's people who pay you. So why can't you be one of those people? Mm. <laughs> yo, my Great. man. And yo, it was crazy too, KB. Like, that's one of the main reasons why I got out of fitness. Like I, I salute you, KB, because Rob, at one point I was uh, a personal trainer too, but once I understood all of the terminology that they was trying to make me learn, I'm like, nah, nah, like I'm, <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm out of here. So I salute you and KB, especially KB for sticking with it because you're right, Rob, there's certain things that like, once you see the work ethic that's required to be a profession in the field, mm-hmm. if you're not interested, you're like, yo, I'm out of here. That's a fact. That's, so- and that's what almost everything too. So I got a question because I get it. We millennials, we understand one another. How does your family feel as far as in you going to school and you saying, yeah, I'm going to do my own business. I'm going to clean sneakers, ma. Like, I'm going to fix people's sneakers for a living. Like, how did that <laughs> conversation come about? Yeah, I'm That's- not even going to lie. That is hilarious because, like, when I break it down and just say, what is my title? I'm a sneaker cleaner. Like, I laugh at myself. <laughs> and I laugh when I have to tell people that. I think when people are seeing how much you're actually doing and how many sneakers are filling a house or how many sneakers are filling like a, a garage, I don't even know if I could laugh at him anymore because he's really bringing in a lot of clientele, like in a lot of work. It, is this even something we should laugh at anymore? He's making money and doing for himself. Gotcha. So they wasn't open to it at first. It. I I think that my parents are are entrepreneurs in their own. They just haven't committed to it because they they wanted to make t-shirts and they wanted to do a bunch of different things as far as designing clothing to an extent. I think that they were open to it, but of course it's just a, and I don't know if this is like a black household kind of thing, but keep going to school. <laughs> like that, Keep going to school. Whatever, Whatever you do, you do on the side of this cool, but keep going to school kind of thing. Like it was not playing. But after that, I got my, you know, my little associates in business administration and just like, I'm going to go to school pandemic hit and i'm just like all right let me just work for the rest of the year like, I don't even <laughs> honestly that that's actually dope like that you took what was hurting a lot of people and you turned to a positive for yourself i think so do you ever plan on going back to school or are you you doing this full time so i i do want to go back to school because i think you learn a lot of things you grasp a lot of new concepts and and different ways to like really talk and you it's i think a big part of it too is is just networking you meet a lot of people who inspire you you meet a lot of people who encourage you to take that leap and show you new ways to get into new things i do love school and i do want to go back to school i was thinking about i was, I was deciding between either york or queens college and when, once this hit I just know myself and know what kind of student I am. So I like, I really feel like I need to connect with my professors and stuff like that. So not being able to be in person and really talk to your professor and build a connection, show them that you're learning in your own way. It was tough for me to really decide to go back. No, that makes sense. And then I would say based on your particular business is you could get a lot of business with just being on campus and being around and having the word of mouth. And that's the thing. Like I look at school, I, I, I dropped out early. I did one semester and was done. (laughs) <laughs> but i know for some people it makes sense because there's a network and there's, there's a lot of people there and there's a lot of people that are striving to do what you're already doing if you're known as a sneaker plug to to fix anything along with sneakers whatever else you do then i think that would be a good asset to you because you could now you're taking your classes with a purpose like yo i'm doing this for my business i can implement this right away it's not like Definitely. you gotta wait till four years to make it happen Definitely. I was in business classes, learning terms and stuff like that. Like in my own street hood, hood terminology, you would just be like, yo, 
that's close to like reselling sneakers. Like that's that's flipping this. You just sit there. I was I was getting hype when I was in business accounting. I'm just like, nah, you 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 for real? This is crazy. I was like that. It motivated me to get more into different like classes and stuff like that. And then people would be like, yeah, you got your own business because I'll mention it in a little bit. I'll throw it out there, and people like, yo. Push your Instagram. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit you up, and that just that helped a lot. I love being in school and being able to learn different things, and being in a class full of people who are like minded because they all are in a similar, um, you know, major as you. It's just you guys all connect in a certain way. You all connect. It's dope. Yeah, and I feel like that's the same way that I use school too, Rob. I use it more of the network that it created because by you deciding if you decide to go back or you decide to finish. You're going to meet some people that's going to open up some doors and you're going to increase your clientele, like what KB said. I think that makes sense. Now, I guess some of the other things that I really wanted to jump into is when you got into business, right? How did you come up with the name Take Care New York? What made you choose that? I see in a lot of people because because it's just something that was big in our time. Drake's album, Take Care. But mm. I just felt listening to music. I was just thinking of, of a different name because I had different names in mind and stuff like that. But nothing that I ever made a logo for, nothing that I ever made like and and really held me as far as a business name. I was just like, what am I actually doing? I'm taking care of people and I'm from New York. I'm in New York. I'm helping people with pretty much whatever they need, whether it's a request for a custom or whether they need shoes cleaned for a party tomorrow night or they need their shoes fixed that that they like have so much love for. I'm taking care of people regardless in many different aspects of, you know, sneaker culture. That's fire. Because the sneaker culture is like a multi-billion dollar industry. A lot of people don't know that people spend a lot of money on sneakers and a lot of times they, they do appreciate in value if you don't wear them. So Definitely. it's a whole different type of world. And I think that uh, you are a prophet in that world because you really can bring sneakers back <laughs> to life. Because in our culture, our first thing is that we want to get our sneakers. After you get the sneakers, you want to get your car and then you want to get your chain. So those are the three elements that re- make you become, I'm that guy. And I feel like the sneakers is the first step for a lot of people. And then it's something that never leaves you. No matter how old you get, you always want to have some clean sneakers on. My father is 53. If I'm not mistaken, he's 53 and he buys sneakers till this day, like religiously every weekend. <laughs> Trust me, he, he stopped buying jewelry and just kept buying sneakers. It's something that I know, like it sticks with people. When you have something that you feel like is valuable to you, everybody has their thing. Everybody has, I guess they call it a vice. Everybody has their thing that they'll spend money on, like for real. So when it comes to the business and rest of, uh, restoring everything, like it's just solely you or do you have a team that you're working with? It's it's solely me right now. I actually have one other person that I, I was like really thinking about opening something up with, but things got a little complex as far as finding a place because we had someone that wanted to invest in us. But then we just backed off of it. I think we really couldn't agree on what we felt like we should be paid by somebody who has the actual place and who's trying to get us in there to work. And I was fine with that ultimately because I can control my own prices. I could give myself the, the opportunity to give somebody a discount or not and not really worry about what we're trying to get this guy paid for housing us. And it, it it's just like me at the end of the day. I still keep in touch with the other person that I wanted to work with, but it's just me at this point. And I got a question. Is there any money in sneaker restorations? Is it a profitable, is it a profitable uh, business? It, extremely i don't upcharge as much as i know other people do but extremely 
profitable because some sneakers are never going to release again. So people want to save those things and give them a second life and they'll spend whatever it is because those things are that valuable. Those things are grails to them. What it really, however much value they see in that shoe, it's however much you could just charge that person to fix that shoe for them. Truthfully. Yo, I never thought of that. I never thought of that, that yes, yeah, certain sneakers, they don't re-release them. Or if they do, it takes a couple years for them to hit the market again. Yo, I never thought of that. If you, in reality, let's say something, a sneaker that there's two different models that have never really released. <laughs> they just have so much value are Nike Yeezys. Like those Yeezys are, when are they going to come out again? He does, he's not with Nike anymore. So people are paying hundreds of dollars if they have to to get these shoes soul swap because they're now it. So something they'll tell you, they'll, they won't really tell you, but they will. In Flight Club and the stadium goods, if a shoe is seven years or older, they don't even want you to try it on in the store because it's at risk for crumbling. Shoes that have not put like been put on your feet, they dry out. The glue dries out, the midsole dries up, especially when they're in plastic for a long time. They need like the humidity and warmth from your foot to keep the glue warm, to keep like moisture in the shoe so things don't dry out. But when they're in that store, just sitting there for seven plus years and then somebody brings them to them trying to sell them, they don't really want you to try it on because they don't want it to fall apart in their possession. And therefore, those shoes have the ultimate like value as far mm. as what these things are priced at. Wait, what do you mean sneakers crumble? What do you mean crumble? So a lot of midsoles, they're made out of phylon like cushioning. And when those things don't have too much moisture in them anymore, they dry out and they'll turn literally into dust. They'll crumble up into dust. Like a lot of Jordan midsoles, one, no, not ones, but twos, threes, fours, fives, pretty much everything from two all the way up to about, I think six, all of those will crumble. Like wow. literally all of those will crumble. Nah, that's definitely something new. So wait, I got to ask two questions. One, how many sneakers do you own? And two, which one is, what's your favorite pair of kicks? Right now, I'm actually looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I, I currently own only eight pairs of shoes. Like other shoes are like beaters and stuff like that. So I wouldn't even really count them. But things that I'll wear out places, like I have eight pairs of shoes that I actually wear out. My favorite shoes... It, it tends to switch up a little bit because I'm really like a runner's kind of guy. I'm not really like a, a Jordan model kind of guy anymore. I think I lost my love for Jordans when I realized I, I bought a pair that were old. I bought a pair of French Blue 12s. I think the year I graduated from school, I think that was my graduation gift to myself. I spent $400 on a pair of shoes from 2001 and I wore them about four times and they fell apart. And I think that's when I lost my love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I honestly, if you want me to be honest, that's what made me learn how to restore shoes. Truthfully, my shoes fell apart and I'm like, I'm cleaning the shoes. And so I might as well figure out how to glue my shoes back together. It, it, yeah, I, that was one of my favorite shoes because it was 2001 at the last time that it was released before, I think, 2016 or 2017. French Blue yeah. 12s came out again. And before that, it was like, that was my favorite shoe. Now, like, I'm not going to lie. I'm probably called considered a hype beast because I, I look at a lot of collabs and things like Nike do with, with other brands. So it's like things like Sakai that, that Nike collabs with or majority of things Supreme or, or whatever. There's a bunch of different things. It's, it, it switches up from time to time. But I own eight pairs currently that I'll wear out. And it varies between different collabs and stuff like that, which one is my favorite. I'm just, I was just shocked that you only said eight. What's the reason for that? 
I would, if I'm being honest, when I worked at Foot Locker, they started to cut my hours. There's certain times of the year you start to learn that high times of the year for buying shoes at Foot Locker and the, the, you have your lows. Around the summertime, once you get into the summertime, people are going on trips. People are leaving like the states to go on vacation or going on vacation different places. So they'll buy their little shoes here and there. But throughout the majority of the summer, you get a, a lot of lows as far as like your your sales goal for the day. They cut a lot of people's hours throughout the day. And this is just in general, because even when I went to ASICs, I was just like, let's see if people still buying their running shoes throughout the summer. And the same thing happened. They cut hours then. So it's like you have your high and low times. Experience, like my experience with those times, if you're not performing as far as sales in general, whatever sales are actually coming to the store, they're going to cut your hours. So when they started cutting people's hours and, and it's like a whole dirty like scam going on and for like, I'm not going to lie. Full timers be stealing, but <laughs> like full timers be stealing part timers sales, and the the cashiers is in on it. The people at the cash register, they just yeah, I got you. You buy me lunch for the week. I'm gonna just swing some of these sales your way. So you start oh. to you know you in that little cycle of people who look like they're not selling. So your hours is getting cut based off your productivity. But within that, I was just like, all right, if you give me that many hours, hold this release for me, and I'm gonna just resell all these sneakers that's coming out. That's how I got into my little reselling. And then it was like, I don't wear most of these shoes I bought from the past releases anyway. So I just started selling the majority of those too. And just once I started selling mad sneakers, I realized the sneakers I actually started to like were extremely expensive. So then everything just had a monetary value to, to, to it for me rather than having an actual sentimental value. Mm. And I just like, all right, well, <laughs> if I got to wear it, then I'll wear it. But if I can make money off of it, I'd rather have the dollar value in my pocket because I know what it is to struggle and have a bunch of sneakers. And then you just sitting here looking crazy like, nah, <laughs> I'd rather get rid of the sneakers. <laughs> That's what's up, though. You can't get high of your own product. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Now, so you... Like, like what KB said, I thought you'd be a sneakerhead. Have you, like, is your clientele, like, crazy sneakerheads? Like, do you have clients with, like, 100 pairs of sneakers? What's your clientele? So it, what's crazy to me is I've started to notice me and my other friend who also does this. He used to work at Foot Locker with me. That's who I would have went into business with. He actually has that kind of clientele. And the part of Queens that I'm in, I just feel like I have everybody with shoes in general like you have your sneakerheads in the hood then you got your girls with uggs and your girls with <laughs> high fashion shoes and your scammers with all designer shoes you got everything over here and like him i feel like he has all of the extreme hype beasts and sneakerheads like in his portion of queens where they just bring him everything like from ogs to yeezys to everything to for him to save I see it on his story all the time. He he goes crazy with shoes too. But I feel like I get a mixture of just everything. People bring me their work boots. People bring me everything, honestly. Slippers, it don't end. Like I get all types <laughs> of stuff. Oh, I got a question too. For those who don't know, what is considered, who's considered to be a hype beast? I think that your hype beasts are the people who really follow the value behind a shoe based off of what everybody in the culture is going to like. That like when everybody likes something, the demand for it goes up. Be it that the demand for it goes up, it gains this like this value that that everybody's giving it that value. But you get these thousand dollar prices now for off white fives and off white UNC ones and stuff like that. And now you just look, yeah, that's all he like go after. That's all he buys collab stuff. That's kind of where your hype beast 
originate from just the people who who pay attention to what gets that hype from the demand. So it's, it sounds like the stock market a little bit. Exactly <laughs> like that. <laughs> and I, I experienced that because like when we went back in our eBay days, I always used to sell the sneakers. And I remember one time before I was going to get the Iversons and I forgot, I think it was the questions. And mm-hmm. I, was, I was looking at it. Nobody was checking for them. Soon as Reebok did the commercial with Alicia Keys, it went from $80 to $250. I'm like, <laughs> yo, nobody was, ch- I was watching them for a good minute. I'm like, y'all might pull those out. Nobody got those. They everybody went in Let me throw out the questions. And I was so upset because I'm like, yo, just because she made this commercial and they said they bringing it back, it just skyrocketed out of nowhere. And I never got yeah. those questions. now honestly like you the the way the culture shifts too it'll be like that you'll have shoes that are going crazy for a a few years and then other people's shoes like they'll feel like yo this is more valuable i love sbs and dunks why are these not going crazy and now a few years later two years later you got dunks that wasn't worth 150 selling for 600 700 dollars now because the culture shifted to its attention to now from let's say running shoes over to skateboard shoes and then back to basketball shoes, which are Jordans and stuff like that. Because there was a point where Steph Curry's was even selling for two, three hundred dollars. And I think 2016, 2015, 2016, when he was going crazy. So it's just now who's buying Under Armour shoes? Who's buying Steph Curry's? Nobody <laughs> no more. So it's things like things shift, the culture shifts and what people are paying attention to. That shifts all the time. That's crazy. How do you separate yourself? Who's your competition and how do you separate yourself? Like for all of the listeners listening, what makes you different? I see it's hard to to really say who my competition is and not on anything cocky because it's tough to see yourself as somebody who like has to compete for this. I feel like everybody has shoes. No like competition, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was okay, the nicest. Yeah, yeah, that was the nicest flex I ever heard. Like, <laughs> you, like I, I don't know. I feel like somebody got to be on the same block as you doing this to feel, for you to really have competition. Like, but, <laughs> but like legit, everybody has feet. It's kind of tough to really say you got competition. Walmart and Target kind of thing. Even though I do bring it up, if I do see people doing the same thing as me, I have a point that I, I like to um, make at times because people be like, "Yo, why not help them if they asking for help?" And in that sense, it's tough when they're in the same borough as me, let's say, because I, I know about two or three people in the same borough as me doing this. One one be it my friend and there's somebody else I went to school with at the time at Flushing. He's doing it. There's a few other people. It's a little tough for me to want to give out information and want to help when you are that close to home. It's hard to really say like their competition when somebody's from Georgia, when somebody's from Ohio asking me, how do you do things or, or what help? cannot provide them as far as information thank god you didn't was on lay block when you was younger because he didn't wear shoes <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't have been no no help to the business no i did wear <laughs> shoes what the hell are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> so like i know millennials we want everything fast we want to think an instant how many people come to you with this crazy demand of yo rob i need my sneakers and five sneakers by tomorrow how often that's happened to you see when because that does happen a fair amount i wouldn't say too often because a lot of people be like yo i know you do your thing get them back to me in a in about a week or two like time spent 
And I feel like that's typically what happens. But every now and then you get your person like, yo, bro, I got a party tomorrow. I'm, I I need this pair done at least by tomorrow. And everything else you can get back to me every, like next week or something like that happens every now and then. Actually, just the other day I had a pair of shoes I cleaned overnight. And then just as long as they dry in a decent amount of time, all the stains come out and I don't have to clean it again. I don't really worry about it. Most times than not, I, I get a lot of that finished and done. I would say probably like one out of every five, six people really need it by a certain deadline and and it has to be done quick. But other than that, it don't happen that often. And and I would say typical turnaround is probably like five, six days, usually if something's just being cleaned or, or whatever the case is. Restorations are just a little headache. So those take, you know, a little while longer. Sometimes you need different midsoles and things to fit. So you gotta buy a pair off uh, off of eBay as like a beater take that midsole and make it fit on a new on the pair of shoes that the person bought you is it's a headache so certain things are different time frames that that'll be done in but most things that you clean and stuff like that as long as it has time for me to dry reassess whether they need to be cleaned or not a lot of that stuff get done within a day to three four days depending on if i need to clean it again okay so how did you determine your market value what you supposed to charge for for restorations or customs how did you measure that since it's a i was just thinking that so for me, and just last year, I found out what, what actual businesses with brick and mortar stores are charging as well. For me, I go based off of what my, because my friend, he, he just asked me the other day, yo, how much would you charge for something like this? And I'm like, bro, I don't know. I typically charge this much. He's like, yo, I'm thinking about charging X amount, like a high amount. I'm like, oh, well, as long as you provide that value, bro, if people are going to pay for it, they feel like it's valuable. Like you give them that value, like. They're going to pay for it. Whatever you feel like you should be charging for that, whatever your time is worth, you charge for. But also you want to be competitive because you don't want to drive away too much business. You feel like what, whatever your time is worth is, is what you should be charging. But also, like sometimes I think you have to be a little strategic and maybe undercut some people's prices at times or, or undercut the professional businesses' prices at times just so you can actually be profitable and have a lot more business, have a lot more things coming in. And do you got a certain time where things get crazy or like what's been your best month? Is there a certain time frame where, yo, during Christmas, it gets crazy or during the summertime? And like what that look like for you? For me, actually doing this for one year and now going on two years, I'll be two years actually committing myself to only doing this. I've now realized over the summertime around May, I would say things start to get crazy. Like last year in May, I had. 47 pairs of shoes in my house. That was at a time where I wasn't even charging up front and things were just not paid for. And then people like, yo, I'm coming next week. I got you. I promise. And then it'd be two weeks later, like, yo, I promise I'm coming tomorrow. And that's why I just sitting there. You know what? I got to start charging up front because if people are going to bring me these crazy amounts of shoes all the time in the summer, I got to make sure I get paid first. And when they stuff is done and they could come and get it when they want. I just feel like it's a headache when you done did all the work, spent all your money on supplies, and now you're waiting for them to actually come pay for everything. And when they come pay for everything, you don't know if they're gonna come short or not. And you're like, you only got this much. So it's just <laughs> like, I don't I don't even want to deal with that. Just whenever you're ready, you're gonna pay. Just pay me up front and you're gonna get everything that you need done. And and I feel like that's May, start of the summer, or spring, summer, because that's when people want to have these shoes. That's typically the nicest thing on in your on your outfit when the weather get warm, the weather get hot. It's that spring summertime feel. So that's like around May. I get a lot, a lot more shoes. And then I've noticed like when it starts to get cold, when the weather changes, people change up their wardrobe. They want to make sure these things is clean so they can wear them through the fall. And right now, a lot of things are picking up for me. So 
I'm getting a lot of shoes right now. This October to November time of year, I just got a few pairs of Uggs. I got a lot of people's fall, winter shoes, like Jordans and stuff like that. Shoes that don't have as many holes in it, so they feet warm while they're walking around, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> you ever had anybody come up short or like how, what's been a crazy story of someone's like, yo, man, I know you charge X amount, but I only got 15. You got me until next time? Yeah, I've had that happen plenty of times. I've, I've held it down a few times in the past, but then no, I'm also cutting into my profit margin. I'm cutting into what it's going to take for me to re-up on supplies next time. So I've had that definitely in the past and, and I've held it down for people a lot. I just feel like it's time for me to really like legitimize everything and be serious and stand on what I feel like is my price point. So lately I've been turning down people that want to bring me six, seven pairs of shoes equating to $300. But in reality, if they were actually paying my price, I would be charging them 450 to 500, depending on what they actually really want it done to each one. I'd rather just say no thank you and stand on what I feel like I should be paid rather than just take the quick come up of the, of the money and just kind of like stroke their ego on how they feel like they got over on my pricing. Definitely. You got to name your price. That's definitely what we talk about as entrepreneurs, because a lot of times we have to create our own blueprint, be a pioneer. You're only going to know about just keep adapting, keep making changes. I make changes to my policy all the time to let mm-hmm. people know it's not the and same I'm no not, more. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I feel bad about making changes because you got your people who's consistent. They don't give you no problem, no nothing. And you hit them with the policy and they're like, dang, bro, it changed. He was like, yo, I'm sorry. Man. I just, I've been dealing <laughs> with, with medics, bro. So I got to make sure this is what it is from here on out. It's nothing against you because you definitely never give me a hard time. But you got your people who have given you a hard time. So you realize you had to change. Actually, that happened tonight. Somebody's like, I ain't got it. So I'm going to just hit you and I got it. All right. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, you probably need to set up something. If you don't come for 30 days, then I'm going to sell them. <laughs> like, yo, you know what? People have told me that, but also I don't want to create any bad blood yeah. with people doing that. So I just, I felt like I'm not going to do that. Like, I already know how people are, people who vendettas and everything. I, I'd rather not right now. Like, <laughs> I've held things for up to a year and some change, honestly, for people. I know how that goes, what? but it's a difference. It's a difference when you're holding things that aren't paid for and things that are paid for. Because when they paid for it and you holding it, it's just like, I got you. Don't even worry about it. You good with me. But when they ain't paid for and you got it for three, four months, you're just like, bro, what are we doing? I'm going to have to make my money back from this job or, or, or something. I feel like that's the difference. What do you feel is the hardest pair of shoes to work on since you've been uh, doing it? I'm not going to lie. A lot of designer stuff is difficult. Some of it is easy because I don't really want to tell people, but you're not really always getting your money's worth with these designer shoes. Sometimes they cheapen out on the materials they actually put in on your shoe. You would think that be it a $600 plus shoe, they're going to give you quality materials. But a lot of designers now are giving you like... Some of the same materials you're getting on Yeezys and some of the same materials you're getting on these $200 Jordans. And it's just like you, you're losing out on your, your value as far as what the shoe is worth. But other designer shoes, they give you a lot of things that are like real genuine leathers and stuff like that. And to achieve some of these colors they're putting on these leathers, they're dyeing things. So it's like, all right, now that the shoe is dyed with, with, you know, red dye and it was genuine leather, that dye gonna bleed. So now mm. you got white white mesh and it got red like dye stains all in it you just got to worry about getting that out and it's the fact that it's a twelve hundred dollar shoe so i feel like you ha- you'll have some of your hardest time cleaning a lot of designer shoes that are made out of genuine materials 
those are what give me probably like my hardest time because I got to worry about making sure I get all those stains and everything out once it dries. That's crazy. You would think the the more expensive shoes, they put the best material in them and then it's the opposite. That's frustrating. Like, yeah, like that, very much, very much. So when you, especially when you don't know it, because a lot of times you're not, you're not studying to know the difference between what's genuine leather and what's suede and what's new buck or, or what's what they actually, I went to go find out about it for my belt. I bought a Gucci belt back in high school. I, I let me a lot. My mom's bought it for me, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the point is bought this Gucci belt. It got a Gucci print all over it. It got genuine leather on the inside, but this genuine leather is so thin and it's a $350 belt. So you're sitting here thinking, what did I pay $350 for? And they tell you like, this is PVC and, and vinyl. And the only way to really print our patterns onto this, our monograms onto this is for it to be that. Cause if we printed it onto genuine leather, it would bleed off. It wouldn't wow. stay on there for long. It would rub off. So we're, we're giving you PVC and vinyl and, re- and re- all reality you're paying for this design on plastic and a small thin piece of leather and a metal buckle. Every design, it doesn't really give you like that value all the time. And sometimes you're paying twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars now for shoes that all don't have that value. Yeah, bro. I think like when you sell, when you see the fake material, because back in high school, KB used to have all the fake belts. So like, <laughs> I used to sell them. Nah, this is crazy. This is not a Listen, I didn't know it was fake until I got to the fifth one. And then I had to, <laughs> I had to sell the rest of those Louis belts, man. The Louis belts, is, they looked good, though. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's tough, though. It's tough when you get something. You're like, wait, hold on. This thing. This ain't real. This looked real though. <laughs> you having a hard time now. Nah, you know what? We just gonna fake it till we make it. Ain't nobody gonna know. Yeah, they they, they banned KB from eBay, man. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> so, bro, like, what what do you want to take take care of New York in the next couple years? What do you want? What do you want to happen? In reality, when it becomes a little bit more stable, I would like to then have a shop where people can bring their items in, drop them off for cleaning, drop them off for restorations. And I have a team of people that'll help me do those things and get a lot of that stuff done in a timely manner because me managing all of my clients by myself is getting a little stress, a little stressful. I feel like in the next few years, I would definitely want to get into a shop, hire a few people that, that are interested in doing this work. The work is called shoe cobblery. And nobody teaches you how to get into these things. So if there are other people that want to get into this line of work and, and work on fixing shoes and becoming a shoe cobbler is what it's called. And I would love to just hire people and teach them what I know, grow into a shop and also grow into designing my own products, shoes and things like that. You got people in the world where I have came up pretty much through that lane. And I don't even know if they really planned on it, but you got people like Sean Wertherspoon and like Virgil who have came out of nowhere and started designing their own products for Nike and with Adidas and their own brand, not a creative, if I'm not mistaken, the creative, I forgot the name of the title, but Virgil's working with Louis Vuitton now. You got people that grow into these different areas and I would definitely love to get into that as well as have my own place where I'm fixing, cleaning and re- restoring footwear. That's crazy. And then one last thing too, um, before we like ask some of our wrap up questions, uh, Rob is, have you thought about Quinn? Like, like when things got bad in your industry or your field, if you had thought about Quinn, what kept you going? I think everybody thinks about that at times. Because sometimes it's like when you really get into and get things going for yourself, 
I feel like things can get a little overbearing. You got to have a moment with a client or, or with, with somebody who's just like, is this all worth it? What I'm going through, what I'm putting myself through, is this worth it right now? You really have to reevaluate everything you're doing based off a few interactions with different clients. And you just have that moment where you're like, no, nah, I'm stressed right now. You just take a nap or something. You go to sleep and you wake <laughs> up the next day. We got past that. I'm still alive. I didn't die from it. You realize, you know what, let me keep going. It's something that I love more than allowing this one moment to really determine or define who I am and what I have a love and passion for. I feel like it's moments like that where everything feels like the world feel like it's going wrong. And you realize, yeah, that's one thing that just went wrong. And I have all these other things that I've accomplished and I've got past to look back on. So I feel like it's kind of like in school when you fail testing your favorite subject, you're like, what the f- is going I'm good in this subject. <laughs> like, how I fail this test? And then you're like, you know what? Let me take the next test. I'll be all right. Bro, and I think I'm so glad you mentioned that, man, because I think that's one of the big things I want the, our, our listeners to to pay attention to is regardless of the industry, I I still have times that I, I question the people that I coach because they just get me so frustrated. You sometimes may experience you have clients that are like, yo, I don't even want your money. Just get out of here, you know? And, <laughs> and I know KB, wouldn't you say you experienced the same thing? I experienced that today. honestly i already know and it's just a part of it because that's the thing like entrepreneurship is what we love but it's not going to be you know peaches and cream every day and there's some days where it's not that i just don't feel like training i just don't feel like dealing with certain personalities Mm -hmm. and that's what it comes down to they bite me in the mood i might not be patient that day and i'm gonna just keep it going but Everybody pays, though. Everybody pays. (laughs) Completely. I feel that 100%. I think that's a part of what made me leave Foot Locker to start and why I was so comfortable with going to a place like Asics at Foot Locker. They want you to be this person and they want you to be this person all the time. They want you to sell, sell, sell. Be a shark. Be hungry. Go talk to people. Engage. Create conversations. Ask them about what they like, what they're wearing. Get them comfortable. And then find out what they in for and sell them something. And it's like me, I'm not always that person. I don't always feel like doing that. I don't always feel like being on top of people's toes, asking them, hey, what's going on? That's why people are like that at Foot Locker. If you ever wondered, like, I just walked in the store. Why are you asking me what I want? Or, or <laughs> I don't even know what I want yet. I'm just looking around. That's why people are like that at Foot Locker because they're coached to be like that. That's how you hit your sales goals for the day and stuff like that. And I think that's what made me leave because... My manager's looking at me crazy because I'm just chilling, waiting for somebody to come to me and ask for my help. I was the type that always made myself available for a customer when they were ready to say, hey, do you guys got this and whatever? Or I heard that you guys are doing this. And I was always available for a conversation or to go help somebody. I wasn't the type that always wanted to be on everybody's toes all the time. What's going on? What you wearing? What you coming in for? It just, that wasn't me. And I felt like I wasn't being genuine to myself and having people looking over and watching over my back, making sure I do that all the time. It drove me away. Yeah. It drove me away. Making I just didn't feel like dealing with people like that. Then moved on to ASICs. They allowed me to be a little bit more comfortable, laid back. And then it's my own business. And then you took off. And I think, so Rob, like, how could our listeners find you? What are like, what would you say your ideal person? Are you just taking anybody that trying to get their shoes fixed? Rob, how could the listeners find you and what kind of people are you looking for? Um, I'm pretty much looking for anybody, honestly, as long as you're just a cool, chill person and like you just approach it genuinely. Don't 
Don't try and be like too, too great. Yo, I need this done and just demand me to do your shoe and take your, your business and stuff like that. Just hit me like, hey, I was wondering what's your pricing for this particular service or for to have this thing done. Just hit me and I'm on Instagram all the time, all day long. I feel like once you become a creator on Instagram or, or somebody who's a content creator, you just, you kind of looking at how your insights are and you, you're always watching. So I feel like I'm always on Instagram and um scoping out things. If I got any new message requests from somebody that I'm not following and my Instagram is that take care, New York, T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-N-Y underscore. Solid. And then I guess the last question before we end the episode is now that you made it to the show, what do you think entrepreneurhood means to you? I feel like this is like a brotherhood or once you jump, especially in a literal sense, once you jump into it, it's like it's a way of life. Literally being on you guys show, I feel like this is a brotherhood. Once you come on the show and you have to speak to what you do and, and how you provide value to whatever customers you have or clients you have. I feel like this is a brotherhood. Like you guys are dope. You guys are helping people like see the light, peek into what entrepreneurship and being an entrepreneur on an everyday basis is like. And I just, I love it. I love what you guys are doing, honestly. We appreciate that, man. And I must say too, I must thank you on the air that you really looked out for my fiance custom sneakers for her birthday. And I I sent him the logo, bro. He got the sneakers for me. Next thing, next week, I picked it up. I was like, "Yo, this is better than I even expected." <laughs> <laughs> I was doing my, I was doing my best to try and think of something because the way you laid it out for me is like, "All right, well, she loves colors, she loves like glitz and glamour, and and just a, a bunch of flashy stuff." But I didn't want to be too flashy and, and just give her something that she probably wouldn't wear on an everyday basis. So I, the way you laid it out for me was perfect, and I was able to just cook up something that you were comfortable with, and she eventually just so in love. I appreciate it, man. I definitely got a lot of brownie points for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought the idea to me, though. Honestly, I, I'm pretty much thankful, pretty like, for everything people bring to me more so than what, what I'm able to do for them because it just being able to see the reactions, being able to see how people feel about something that I was able to bring to life is, is just dope to me. That's a big part of what helps me keep going. Smiles, reactions, and people enjoying their life with, with whatever I'm able to do on their feet like that that means a lot to me all right bro man we're glad to have you on the show and continue take care new york appreciate you guys take care anyone can start but only champions finish now that you've completed this episode you're ready to continue your journey by connecting directly with our hosts of entrepreneurhood follow us on instagram at the entrepreneurhood to stay updated with the community For each episode, the first set of listeners to tag us on Instagram and leave a five-star review will be entered into a drawing to get a free one-on-one coaching session on the topic of entrepreneurship with our hosts. Remember, there is no shame in struggling because we fail, we grow, and we win right here on Entrepreneurhood.